0: People assume that your body is a reflection of your morality.
1: Hey, bitches. Welcome to That Betch Podcast, where we deconstruct the daily diet one decibel at a time. I'm Terry Fast with the insightful and brilliant Brittany Wacholtz. This is That Betch. Is diet culture real or just a concept fabricated by frustrated fatties? Well, according to our guest, sociology professor Emily Boyd, diet culture is alive, it's well, and it's dangerous AF. Today we get all the info, how it began, how it's infiltrated our society, and why it needs to be destroyed. Britt, are you a doctor? No you play one on tv no is the content on that batch intended to replace the advice diagnosis or treatment of a medical professional no are we going to talk about eating disorders childhood trauma food negative self-talk depression anxiety stress relationship issues hating our mothers obviously medications medication cocktails regular cocktails probably will there be swearing fuck yeah that's your trigger warning bitches Welcome, Emily.
0: Thank you very much for having me. Thrilled to have you here. Can you just give us a little background information on yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a sociologist. Uh, I got my PhD at Florida State, and now I work as an associate professor at Minnesota State Mankato, and I teach a variety of classes on sociology, including things like qualitative methods, social psychology, deaf and dying, sociology of the family, so... um, Rather broad area of I think knowledge. I'll need you to come back for the
2: sociology of the family. Yeah, sure. Talk about our mothers. Yeah, I'd be happy
1: to. Well, and you did your dissertation or a study? or My master's Okay, thesis. tell us about yeah. that.
0: Um, I did a study on, it was using the AdHealth data set, which is a data set collected by UNC researchers, and it studies um, high school students over time. as a longitudinal study. I was interested in the eating do- disordered variables that are part of that data set, and I found that girls who are in high school who have more friends and who participate in more extracurricular activities are more likely to have eating disorders um, than other girls. And that was pretty interesting finding in the sense that typically we find that um, social connections are protective factors so the more friends you have like the better off generally your um, self-esteem or well-being is things like that you know the more groups you're associated with if you have church groups or people that you work with that you care about that that's a protective factor so it was really interesting to find that for girls at least for high school girls um, that culture of thinness might be reverberated amongst themselves instead of
1: instead of sort of, Protecting you against some of those things that could be harmful to us. Right. It's more perpetuating or feeding into it. Yeah. Which yeah. is the exact opposite of what the original school of thought was, or is a school of thought for most things. Like, if you surround yourself with positive people, you're going to become, right. become more positive. Exactly. So, well, I think a
0: lot of it was like a competitive factor. Um, oh. Girls who have higher GPAs are also more at risk. So, girls who were working really hard uh, and were really involved were more likely to be.
2: Okay. I wonder if that's like part of the all or nothing thinking or perfectionism right. when it comes yeah. to that because it's black and white. There's You cannot fail. Right. There's no I have adoption. to be superwoman. I
0: have to be thin. I have to be smart. I have to be accomplished. I have to do all these things at the same time. Yeah. So. That's really interesting. And that's something we learned in treatment too is like,
2: no, no, no black
0: and white thinking. Mm-mm. <laughs> And it's an example of people utilizing eating disordered behaviors to try to gain an element of control in their lives. You know, if, like, you can't do anything about your family and, you know, you're stuck in this high school that you hate, maybe you know, regulating your eating behaviors as a way to kind of feel like you're really
1: the one who's Mm -hmm. in control? I see it both ways because I think if you are, like, limiting your intake or restricting, I can see it that as a form of control. In another way, and this is me personally, of course, I have no studies to back it up. I'd like to hear what you think. But for me, it's more about comfort and, like, rewarding myself and, things like that. I don't know if that's control. Maybe it is, but it feels more like I deserve this or I worked so hard that like I didn't have maybe those connections of
2: people helping me with those sorts of things. So I used food. But it's interesting because you said restricting peace was part of the control, but the restricting pieces could also be the fact that you're rewarding yourself. Well,
0: and to have a reward, there's a restriction,
2: To have a
1: reward, there's a restriction.
2: So you're like, yep, I can have this, I can do this. Mm -hmm. That's
1: interesting. I never thought of it like that before.
2: That's why diets fucking fail. Because you're restricting, you're not giving your body what you actually want, or in
0: some cases need, and then, boom, you are, like me, Binging. Yeah, and instead, if you, you know, if you fantasize about a cheeseburger and you just eat that cheeseburger, well, then it's over, and you don't have to obsess about it for a week, you know, like, and have, uh, five uh, cheeseburger. Yeah, I wish I was a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted
1: to talk a little bit about, we were thinking about our, our work culture and, like, what you do behind the scenes, but it, maybe before we even go into that, we should talk a little bit about diet culture and thin culture and how this, like, started. What's the origin, in your opinion, of what could have made the society so fucked up, fucked up that it is. <laughs> exactly. Thank
2: you.
0: <laughs> well, when I think about, um, you know, defining thin culture, I think about the other ways that we have, like, cultural designations, like that there's rape culture, for example. Yeah. Are you all familiar with rape culture? I could use a little refresher. This is the idea that um, women being raped or assaulted or experiencing violence is so common in our culture that it's no longer remarkable that it's not um, a big deal or uh, an event, Um, but instead something that happens all the time. And so other parts of that are things like victim blaming, you know, oh, what was she wearing when that happened? Or, you know, not prosecuting rapists, He's, he's or such even, a good boy. Like, he's uh, a swimmer. He wins. Right.
1: Joke
2: like, This will ruin
0: his life. He won't get right. into a good school. Privileging someone else's educational attainment over someone's bodily authority. Right? Well, and we
2: see it in police departments, too, where there are rape kits sitting on the shelves for years and years and years. Like, right. they've taken
0: the rape kit and used it on a victim. Yeah, And then, and then they never tested it. Right. So it's an example of the like institutionalized rape culture where, you know, the institution itself isn't even bothering to fulfill the function of testing, you know, to see if there's anyone. So
1: it. how we connect this to
0: other se- sorts of culture, like sure. diet culture, thin culture, whatever. Well, that we could say that diet culture is now so pervasive that it's unremarkable that everybody. Oh, I would agree. Is constantly, you know, policing themselves and, and their intake.
2: Well, like you were going to say in the workplace, that's exactly where I'm, Probably policing myself the most is, one, because I don't want to come off unprofessional because I'm a different person at work in general. Right. But then to add this layer of dieting and policing myself of, oh. When you think
1: about people and what they think fat people are, you know, they're lazy They have no self-control,
0: self-indulgent. It's like those are not the qualities you want associated with your work persona. Sure. And that's part of the whole discussion in the literature of making weight a morality thing. And so people with hard bodies are seen as hardworking and in control, accomplished. Whereas people with soft bodies are viewed as lazy, you know, that they haven't kind of conquered their physical body. It's their own fault, right? That there's a, a part of a accountability. That's part of the morality. Issue. You know, you know, if you can't do it, then you're a, a you're a lesser person. Yes. Than a person who can lose the weight and control it with diet well, and exercise. Well, and
1: I personally feel that about myself. I feel it from other people, whether that's real or imagined on my part. But I do put that on myself and I think you were talking about sort of that phenomenon before like this looking glass theory or right yeah
0: it's called the looking glass self that's Charles Horton Cooley's major major theory essentially what he's saying is that we a lot of our idea of who we are is based on our perception of what other people think of us and so his theory has three steps we imagine that someone views us we imagine they have some kind of judgment or assessment of us. And then that view, that imagined view, then impacts how we see ourselves. And it's important that it's imagined. We don't actually know how so, other people think about us so, what they, they think about us. But. It's
1: like eating in the car. So <laughs> I don't want to be seen eating in my car. Like, I think other people are watching me, like, oh, there's – I'm at a stoplight and this fat chick's got mailman <laughs> <laughs> next to me. That's so gross. Where in reality, they are very easily could be thinking about their grocery list, trying to get to work on time, changing the song on the radio, whatever. But I'm imagining that they're
2: thinking this. And then not only that, but then we got the trash we got. At the oh, airport. my God. When I was at the height of my binging I mean every day I was like trying to find a trash to put my bags in my fast food bags and it was very strategic it wasn't just like oh I'm I'm, I'm fine I can just drive up to this one and I'll throw it in it's fine no one's looking right no, you find a trash can that no one can see you and your car yeah. and you throw it away I mean
1: the drug the Drug dealers are asleep right now. I'm
2: going to this park (laughs) Yeah, throw in
0: the trash bin.
2: (laughs) Nobody's there.
0: I'm going to go get the mail.
2: Drive quick to the (laughs) gas station, throw it away. Yeah,
0: that's that imagined view. Like, I mean, if anyone is even seeing you, and they might not be, they probably aren't thinking about you at all, right? Like, they're worried (laughs) about their own lives. But um, that kind of makes me think of Foucault and and Jeremy Bentham's conception of the panopticon. Well, you know that, you're not not familiar? Uh, What's a panopticon? (laughs) (laughs) The panopticon is a theoretical model of a prison, and it's in a semicircle, uh, and the cells are all in the semicircle, sort of on the bottom floor, and then uh, in the middle of that semicircle is a guard tower up high. And this is designed in such a way that the inmates in their cells are constantly able to be watched by the guard in the tower, but they can't see the guard. So instead of there being a guard and then feeling watched or policed, they imagine the guard is there and they're not sure because they can't see into the tower. This is used as an example of sort of gender accountability that, you know, women imagine that others are assessing their body, their appearance, their weight. And They don't know you know if that's actually happening or not but then they become their own jailers because they're then reinforcing that sense that you know oh i need to do this other people are watching or have expectations
2: we gotta organize a prison break (laughs) (laughs)
0: well
2: and if we can go back to the workplace thing really quick like i'm terrified that i'm going to get passed up for a promotion just because of the way i look
0: that's a real concern i mean studies do show that statistically People that are overweight, particularly women, uh, are more likely to get passed up for promotion. Are are less likely to, you know, have high um, occupational attainment. Even that women's salaries over their life course are impacted by their weight. Um, well, in the pink tax, what weren't you telling me about mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Uh, The pink tax is when women have to pay more for products uh, that are really similar to men's products. So, like, when you buy the Bic with the pink handle shaver, that might cost more. Because it's pink. Right. Because it's intended for women. Right. Whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, it's bullshit. But, I mean, and so, you know... Check it out, ladies. Um, When you're at the store, you know, if you're looking at a product and it's geared towards women, is there another generic product that would do you just as well that is cheaper? That's how I try to But now I'm getting all
1: convoluted and mixed up because it's like there is real evidence for some of it, like that. There's studies or information and stats that show this is real. Right, but then I'm going to the next step in making up stories about people watching me or thinking things when
0: they're watching me. So it's like an, a, but that's part of the process. That's part of becoming your own jailer. Is that you take over the the creation of the story, self fulfilling prophecy. I don't need those
1: people to tell me I'm shit. I'll just do it for them. Right,
0: right.
2: Ugh. Well, and that's where like like you were saying, you were restricting, but then you were rewarding yourself, but with. Mine, I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to do this because you told me not to. Well, is that really rebelling? Yeah. Yeah, Is that helping me? Well, that's (laughs) sort
1: of like when my doctor, like I have in my one blog about, um, I made my doctor cry. You can check that out if you wish. But it's like she was shaming me. That's how I felt. So I was like, no, I'm not going to exercise because... You're because gonna, you you're feel totally bad me about, about everything, it. you know, so it's, my, I went to a my rebellious choice. place, yeah, which I don't usually do. But in that situation, I did.
2: But that's what we all kind of need to start doing for things to change is to not but sticking up for ourselves, not rebelling.
1: Yeah, I think advocating for ourselves is one thing. And like we move because we want to move food doesn't have a value.
2: There's no good food,
1: bad food, those sorts of things. But let's talk about like previous cultures, like in earlier times, like beauty standards and different things that, like, our history as a human race may have contributed to some of the stuff we're experiencing now. Yeah, because sure. they always say
2: Marilyn Monroe was, like, what, a size 16 or something? I think they say size 12, but that's not true. Or that it would be a size 16 in today's. It's all just a mind fuck. Yeah, they're just grabbing the rug from out, up from under. Yeah, there's always
0: been beauty stratification. And and by stratification, I mean we privilege some bodies or, or look at them as beautiful in ways that we don't privilege other bodies, where they don't have that cultural power of pleasing aesthetics. And so, uh, for example, in the Roman Empire, being just a little plump and being a little pale all of that was seen as physically attractive back then, and it was really tied to class status. Hey, where's Sheldon? I need my time machine. <laughs> I would be thought
1: of as so beautiful, pale.
0: Right, but I mean, <laughs> really, but back then it was, um, you know, that if you were pale, you were indoors, not working, working ourselves. outside. Yeah, and if you're big, you know, have a little extra weight, then you have the money to eat pretty well, and other people didn't, and so it was about. Really, that, the privileging of that aesthetic was more about the class status that it revealed than it was, you know, about bodies specifically. Is this the same
1: thing or different, like, in even
0: earlier societies, like,
1: Chinese foot binding and things right. like that. Is that
0: stratification or is it yeah, related to it? Or Yeah, I mean, it's more, I would say it's more about control of women's bodies, but that is a form of stratification. You know, the, in Chinese foot binding, they, they take the, the toes of a woman's foot and kind of bind them back towards her ankle. In that culture, they think the way that women walk, once they've had their feet bound, is attractive or beautiful. Of course, this has really detrimental effects on women's mobility. Right, like if you've had your feet bound, you're not able to run a marathon or pick crops out of the field, and so you know you're likely to be upper class, and you're likely to be dependent on a man. You know, your yeah. your husband, your father for so the rest of your life. Sort of a status.
1: It could be thought of as a status symbol. Like I'm in the wealthy class, so I don't
2: have to work, but I'm suppressed by a man. But right. also the
1: other side of that, you talk about dichotomy all the time, and so it's like the other side of that is. Well, I couldn't even get away if I wanted, you know, Right. or oh. like you, I'm totally dependent on a man, my father, like you said, my husband, whoever, my brother, for my survival.
0: Oh. I can't do anything for myself. It's kind but, of oh. like the dichotomy of female genital mutilation, FGM in Africa, right. oh. you know, that women are getting clitoridectomies where their entire clitoris is removed, but if they don't do it.
2: You know, you're many like societies they right. Yeah, yeah,
0: you're rejected from your village or your group, and so you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Right, Stop like that. either you're intact physically, and and you know you're able to, but you know otherwise you're being removed from your culture. Oh my God!
1: Just the things that people think of.
2: episode. Please head over to Apple Podcast, rate, review and subscribe and share with your friends on our social on social media. We are everywhere at thatbetch. b e d t c h. All right, bitches, we're back with Emily, professor of sociology at Minnesota State University Mankato. Hi everybody. And we left off with stratastic something or other. Stratification.
1: <laughs> yes. Stratastic. <laughs> yeah. So in how this thing, things that have happened in beauty and culture and the economy, like reverberate and they still like echo into our lives today. So right. we were talking
0: about kind of really a long time ago. Right. right. Like different cultures and yeah. what they were doing, like five foot binding, that kind of thing. Thinking about when thinness really became involved, some suggest that it really has a strong tie with media culture becoming pervasive in American society. Have y'all heard of Lillian Russell? She, no. Lillian Russell was an American actress and singer in the 1880s. She was in Chicago and New York and then she quit like the mid teens. You know, she, she left, um, you know, singing and acting showbiz, uh, right, showbiz. Yes. And so that's the time period, you know, that she was really popular. And when discussing her, people called her airy fairy Lillian, the American beauty. And she weighed over 200 pounds at the height of her popularity. Wow. And so to me, this is a really good example of how, you know, a star at that time who was really well thought of in the popular culture, that people emulated, was a bigger girl. So just for reference of what was happening then in media culture, the 1880s, uh, that was the first time that newspapers were able to publish photographs. So, you know, the first time people saw photographs was basically the 1880s. Um, Silent films happened in the 1890s, and then the first full-length... full-length feature film with audio and everything was around 1915. And so to me, this is a really good example. Lillian Russell being very famous and appreciated for her body is an example of that ending time when media, through photographs and then through films, became more pervasive in people's lives. I mean, we're still you know, 50 years away from people having televisions in their home. But people could go to the movies or whatever over the weekend and see images of movie stars where they would never have seen them before. They're um, used to seeing the prettiest girl in town, maybe right. Millie and Russell or somebody like her or one of us. I mean, That's- imagine if you've never seen a Hollywood actress, actor, anyone who is so beautiful that people put them on film. Imagine if you'd only ever seen the people in your own hometown. And that's where people were starting. And then, you know, media culture comes in and people have more exposure to photographs and films. And at the time, too, Hollywood studios were creating fan magazines for for big actors and actresses and to get people interested in the films that were happening. And so... You know, they had to have small talk in these magazines, and they would ask people like, "Oh, whose clothes are you wearing? Where where do you dine? What's when, your skincare regime? Right? How do you get to look so beautiful? You know?" So more attention was paid then uh, on the regime that women were engaging in to make themselves look good, and so all of a sudden, this becomes a hot topic, and it's like where all of a sudden beauty now meets the media.
2: Right. And advertising. But
1: a lot of it's driven by the economy or the economics of it or capitalism. Or
0: things like that. Yeah. Because, I mean, essentially capitalism is dependent on people continuing to purchase items. And for women, making women feel as if they're inferior or they need to be fixed or gussied up before they're ready for display is a huge source (laughs) of capital. I like (laughs) gussied up. You know, I mean, if, if women didn't shave their legs, for example, there goes, you know, all of your Venus razors and your shaving cream, yeah. right, and if women didn't wear makeup, there goes, oh, you yeah. know, multi-billion dollar industries. If women weren't pressured into dyeing their hair, imagine what would happen to salons. Like, so all of, in all of these ways, women are made to feel anxious or not quite so great about how they naturally look and then encouraged to purchase all of these products and services. That are aimed towards, you know, a better Fixing them or making them their yes. best self. Exactly. Another
2: podcast that I've listened to, this woman was doing a study about Botox. And she was not for it. She was against it. Uh-huh. Um, just because, you know, you want to stay like yourself. She couldn't justify the, the spend either. Right. And so for her article, she ended up getting Botox. And she Like as research? Yeah. Did she like it? Yes. And she now has done it consistently ever since.
0: Wow. And it's That's interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. I have heard from people that I would never have guessed have had Botox that just a little bit here and there really works wonders. And that shocks me. I mean, these are some of the most granola people I've ever met who... Admit to Botox. <laughs> it's, really, it's
1: really hard because I wear makeup. I wear self-tanner. Yeah. I try to wear clothes that make me feel good, and I express myself through my clothing sure. and my choices. So it's like, where do you draw the line? Like, I'm kind of judgy about people that have plastic surgery for, for aesthetics or um, the
0: Botox thing, and it's like, well... I'm doing the same thing, just in a lesser degree. I mean, and there's no right answer to that. I mean, we we all have to figure out what level of engaging, you know, the beauty myth is really going to work for us, you know. In terms of the beauty myth, uh, that's a book by Naomi Wolf. And in it, she writes that, you know, women are are really distracted by all of these products. Um, She also writes that women have, like, three shifts that they're doing. Not just the second shift, which is a concept by Arlie Hochschild, sociologist. That, that's the idea that women have full-time jobs, but then they come home, and then they work the second shift when they yeah. take care of their families, their yeah. children, their husband, housework. Third shift is the beauty shift. Oh. And so women have to do full-time jobs, all the family shit, and then all of this beauty stuff, you to know. To maintain and, like, keep your man and, and right I mean, facials, about yourself. Facials, pedicures, yeah. yeah, all of those things that. Maybe those aren't really expected, but things like waxing your eyebrows or plucking your chin hairs. If you don't do those things, people will say things to you. Yeah. yeah. They will police your body. You're going to be singled out. Right. You'll be held accountable to the gender yes. paradigm.
2: Well, and it's kind of similar in the fact that where we have like something as such as Botox, where it's a premium to pay for, not everybody can go get Botox. Right? If you have Botox. You're oh my be gosh. Again, wonderful. It's
1: all tied to the economy and your
0: the class. The and class, capitalism. right?
2: I just can't get over
0: the class. Right, and so we have people, you know, watching YouTube videos trying to figure out how to make themselves look decent with makeup. And you know we're comparing ourselves to Beyonce, who's got a freaking team of people, you know, who are working on her. Yeah.
2: Third shift. What the? No, third shift is me time, sitting watching Netflix
0: on the couch with a glass of wine. Second shift should be me time. I mean, or at least it should be half of a second shift. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, this is one of the ways that we keep women down, right? Because then how likely is it a woman's going to be a CEO if she's got the first shift, second shift, and third shift on her plate, right, and the guy she's competing against has a first oh, shift, a housewife at home. <laughs> yeah. Great. He's got one shift, and that's – so he can focus completely on his job. And so it's such a time suck. For well, and like even
1: the – you can have it all as a woman.
0: Nobody says that to
1: a male. And, I mean, I was really fortunate because – Titus always helped around the house, or I would say even took the lead, you know, so that was always more than evenly divided between parenting and household. And it's like, I tried really hard to raise my kids that way and to raise my son as a feminist, but it's like, you can't, there's so much against us as a society, you know. I'm yeah, like running, my eyes are opening up to it. Yeah, yeah. You're,
0: you're fighting the current because sure. even though
1: you can have it all, is sort of a way to keep us down. Because oh, I'm not doing it all right, or I'm not doing it right. all right. It's only you. You're doing something
2: wrong, right? Somewhere in there, you're not doing it all. Like I right. do first, and I do second shift, and then the
1: third shift, I'm drinking wine and, and watching Netflix. Ah! <laughs> and so that's not right because I'm not making myself beauty. more appealing and more attractive during that
0: time. I mean, Ugh, yeah. I, and capitalism depends on it. So if we all quit doing it, imagine what the repercussions would be. Our society Our lacks, plans. Plans. Goodbye. Collapse, yeah.
2: Our housing. Goodbye. I think of the AOL, you know, when you signed off in the internet.
0: Goodbye. Goodbye.
2: Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think, though, for most people, when they think about weight issues and when we think about the kinds of discussion that are popular, you know, amongst people at work or people in church or institutional groups, I think most people, you know, don't mean any harm by talking about those kinds of things. But it's just like another way of having small talk. You know, instead of like, oh, this is where I went to vacation. <gasps> I have. Uh, <laughs> there was a co worker who,
2: every time I saw, she'd be like, oh, what are you doing now? What kind of diet are you doing? Right.
0: Ah! Right. Um, none? Right. What do you, what,
2: what do you that? Mean by that? Right.
0: Mm-hmm. And those kinds of digs are, those are implicit hits, you know, on stigma. You know, and saying that, she's not saying literally, you're. You're overweight, and because then you could take her at HR, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> but, right, yeah. And, you know, but it's still a really, it, it hurts. almost kind and of just much, too. Yeah. Like, you're
1: so stupid. Like,
0: you keep doing this, and you're
1: always going to be gross and fat. Right. I mean, but even on another level, I have, like, this Minnesota nice thing with people I know in my family or others that are, like, you know, they wouldn't say to a person, like, the person's fat. But they'll be like, oh, my God, did you see so-and-so? They're so big. Did and you, you try this, yeah, and, and it's like, you know, I'm sitting right here and I'm just as big as that person. They're like, well, I'm not talking about you, like, you well, don't yeah, have to, cause you, cause you are. Kind of are right. So, I think people, it's the accepted, like, the one accepted place where it feels like it's still somewhat okay. To and shame I, I think people
0: assume that, like, okay, you can't do anything about your race, can't do anything about your gender, your age is <sighs> what it is. But people assume that your body is a reflection of your morality. And so, yeah, you can do something about that. And then people are held accountable to a standard. You really have no idea how obesity works. You were talking no about idea. the sacred and the profane.
1: There's always the good right? and the bad, the dichotomy of the evil and the angelic, or however you want to right. put it. So it's like, well, if you're not tan and toned and, and hard-bodied and slim and have a low that percentage. You must be
0: on, on the, the other right. side,
1: which is, and
0: you know, the idea is that there's cultural capital too, and embodying that kind of preferred cultural capital. Body. Well, yeah, well, that it's currency that you use to kind of navigate the wheels of getting through society. Yeah. And so here's an example. Being tan is an example of a cultural capital that's embodied
2: that you could utilize
0: and so <laughs> I spray tan so you know we talked earlier about you know back in the day if you were pale that was because you didn't have to work outside well now you know if you're tanned it looks like you've been on vacation or that you have time to be leisurely or I backpacked through Europe right right so it's down it seems like your life is better and it seems have like
1: innocent though and it seems like most people like you were saying earlier probably do not make these connections they're just no. like, oh i like how so I we look. know it
0: though you know and, and sociology is good at that by pointing out like where norms are through deviance you know we can see what's <laughs> I mean, really the rule yeah, is when some people do it deviant. wrong okay. so like yes. for example with the tanning tanning has cultural capital but only to a point you can tan wrong you know, like nobody wants to look like a Jersey Shore orange oh. Oompa Loompa, right? That does not give you cultural capital. You are that trash. That might reduce your cultural yes. capital. Right. You might look trashy or like you don't know um, good judgment, when right? Stop like, yeah. Or... To me, that's a really good example of, of how some embodied characteristics have cultural capital and allow the person who's embodying them a bit more cooth or credibility within personal interaction. like you are right. saying. Mm-hmm. What about, how does that
1: reflect, like, in the body size or body world? Like, you have more cultural c- capital if you are a slender Than, person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm short on capital,
2: kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I'm long on my own. I mean, it works in gender ways, too. You know, if you're a woman and you're traditionally feminine, like, you wear dresses sometimes and you do your hair and makeup, that's a way to have cultural capital versus if you're sort of more androgynous, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, people are more accepting of din- different gender expression now than they ever have been, but there still isn't that really wide. I mean, people expect absolutely people to play up to masculine. Well, I mean, like I was saying
2: earlier, what does that look in, like in the workplace? I mean, I'm fortunate enough to where I work in a place that is very open and accepting. I mean, we're constantly... Donating money for LGBTQ, but
0: can they show that in promotions? Right. And what about your workforce? Like, do you have anyone who's you know n- not necessarily um, cisgender or not necessarily straight? Or yeah, right. That's <laughs> fascinating
1: because we do at where I work, and it's great. But I still feel like why is I want everyone to be included, and I'm I'm very much a supporter and an advocate for the LGBTQ community. But it's like, why is it okay to be somebody like that that's different with a gender, but when you're fat, that's still not okay. Because so we have a ways to go. <laughs> and the why. <laughs> and the legalities. They're told. Businesses saying, are told you have to
0: include these people, but they don't say you have to include fat right. people. So you also have to think about the, the other side of it. Okay, so if, if people who are big are made to feel bad about themselves, Or think that others feel bad about. You know, look down on them or, you know, whatever. The other side of it is that if you're thin, you did something right. Yeah. You're better. And not necessarily, of course, you know, we know that not all thin people are fit. There are some very sickly thin people. Thin people drop dead all the time. But that's not the point, right? I mean, the idea is that if you can embody that cultural ideal, you get sort of credit for doing the preferred thing, right? Your packaging. Well it's all that matters. Even- and again, it's the same the, the the um the sacred and the profane, right? Like which one is seen as the preferred way. Well
2: doctors have a bias. Doctors will celebrate someone with a BMI of twenty-eight, but they will lecture to no end. Or someone with a BMI 30 plus.
0: And that doesn't necessarily mean that that person's unhealthy. BMI is only a measure of mass. It's not about the fitness of the mass. Well, I have to laugh because (laughs) my
1: husband is normal weight or close to it, maybe slightly overweight. And I am morbidly obese. Apparently. (laughs) Who is on the, according to the doctor, check. So who is on blood pressure medicines? Not I, said the pig. Who is, on, who is on cholesterol meds? Not I, said the pig. So he's on a bunch of stuff, and I want him to be healthy, of course, and I think that's fine. I want him to be healthy. Well, you're but the it's one like, getting
2: all the fucking lectures right. about exercising exactly.
1: and going up hills. Hence my, yes, hence my blog on I Made My Doctor Cry. Because that's what I did when I finally was an advocate for myself because of this project. I'd never have done it in 50 years, and I finally told my doctor, you know what? I feel shamed, and you're not helping me.
0: Not Not to get all political, but I mean, this is the same kind of ideology that maintains the class system. You know, that people who are wealthy think or imagine that they did something to deserve their wealth. When, in fact, that's not... I mean, most people are born into... And that entitled wealth. sort of... And a, and, uh, yeah, entitled... Uh, but does that change the narrative of you should pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, work hard for everything you have? No, it doesn't. It doesn't change the way our country perceives who's deserving and who's not deserving. And I think weight operates on a similar kind of dichotomy, the the language that we use uh, to talk about, you know, who who should be at fault for these conditions?
2: Well, not to bring this back on myself,
0: but I'm going (laughs) to.
2: I grew up in low income and violent household. I was thin by everyone's standards my whole life, but my self-esteem was shit. My whole relationship with food was shit. And when I got into the real world, how did i cope with all of that i chose food my sister chose addiction my other sister chose alcoholism but i'm the one who is the only one that's been pulled up by her bootstraps no like ugh. <laughs> Well, and and i think too
1: that how do they but be- i'm fat <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's viewed as different like all oh, alcoholism is a pro- is a is a sickness and and Drug addiction is an illness, and I'm not disputing that. However... I'm going to get heart disease and die. That's what studies say. Well, you may or may not, but a lot of thin people do too.
2: Right.
1: But, but it's your own fault because you eat like a pig, and you deserve to die from a heart attack.
2: And it's... So I wasn't, I wasn't born into something. I made something happen. But things... I'm still big, even though I took my fate into my own hands. So, it's it not doesn't factor. Yeah, it doesn't. You having
1: ambition and, and um, integrity and work ethic and.
2: Doesn't make anyone fat
1: or skinny. Intelligence is not what makes a person fat or skinny. Yeah, okay. Right. I'm following. It took a while to get there, but we got there. Yes, that. I'm sorry. No, like, <laughs> I was not <laughs> what, explaining what's it. Happening? I was trying to get there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to kind of go back to this this beauty culture and it's like i feel so hypocritical because i'm like okay i think every body size is great do your own thing feel good about yourself and we shouldn't buy into this culture of beauty culture of thinness all of this but then i'm like well i like to look nice i care what sure. my hair looks like i wear makeup I, am i a big hypocrite and should i just shake my head and never wear makeup
0: again well there's there's okay first fat is a feminist issue Being being larger and being discounted for your weight is more of an experience that women have than men do. So we really need to think about like how our bodies might be impeding our progress as women. You know, we're never going to get to be the CEO if all we can think about is that third shift, right? Second, there's some discussion in the literature about whether or not people who buy in to the culture of beauty are cultural dupes or just like, You know we're taking them for a ride they're just believing all this bullshit about beauty or are they an informed person making an individual choice so here's an example kathy davis has done a bunch of work on cosmetic surgery and she interviewed a lot of women in the netherlands who had cosmetic surgery and many of them said something along the lines of i get it that there's all this pressure on women to to display a certain kind of body But my nose has just been my thing since I was a kid and it's been really traumatic and I really want to get it redone, you know, have a rhinoplasty, because that's going to make me feel good. Nose job. Right. Thank you for the translation. (laughs) Right. and, And on the one hand, okay, so if that makes this woman feel good, more power to her. But on the other hand, by her doing that and changing her face so that it fits the standard of beauty, that is replicating that standard of beauty and reinforcing it. Right. Exactly. And it persists. So that's how I feel.
1: Like, okay, so if I'm wearing my makeup, personally I feel good about it, but then am I just reinforcing this beauty culture?
0: But at the individual level, you're doing something that makes you feel good. Yes. But at the macro or larger level... You are creating a podcast that is helping people deal with issues of weight. Where are you going? Yeah. Where are you going? Making it? cultural change is what I'm saying. So if and I want to wear a mascara, if
1: I can wear mascara, yeah.
0: Woo and keep keep making that cultural change so that we don't have to all suffer from the beauty paradox. Yeah, because
1: like I'm I would never like not promote somebody because they were fat or they didn't wear makeup or they right. were a different sort of, um, sexuality,
0: yeah, be a yeah. <laughs> be ignore- <not> nice person. <laughs> right, but I mean, I don't think it is an either-or choice, you know? I mean, That's You can do a few things for yourself that make you feel good, but you can also go out and say, you know, I think Hillary Clinton got a bum deal because she's a woman, and so it was a lot easier for people to say, oh, that old witch, she don't know what she's talking about, She's frumpy. She's she wears pantsuits yeah. and whatever. She and can't it. handle it. Totally she talks. distracts from the actual message.
1: Where with a male, you would never be like that fat hog. Somebody I mean, would call Donald, Donald Trump, Trump, Trump
0: is not skinny.
1: Yeah, they would call you on it and be like, "That's beside the point. That's not the issue."
2: But with a female, it is the issue. Yeah, it's to divert the conversation from what you don't want to talk about to your own agenda and what right. you want to talk about. And
0: that's, you know, shooting the messenger, you know? Like, all of a sudden, if we call her a fat cow, we don't have to think about what she's saying about equal pay. Uh,
1: that's very frustrating that we as a society, like, glom on to that and, like, add on to that instead of having our own minds and being, like, like individually, we're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why? What does her appearance have anything to do with policy or what she how would she would handle leadership but right that's the frustrating part
2: when we work together like we never ever had a negative opinion of someone because of their appearance because we decided our culture was going to be Lift everyone right. up.
1: Pay it forward.
2: Pay put it people forward. up.
1: I mean, if they're a dick, they're a dick, but not because but not they're are exactly. living in
0: a world where people are helping other people, and if that guy's not part of it, yeah. fuck him, you know. And yeah. so, at least it changes your world, which is a big change.
1: I think it did make a big change with us. Like, as a, it was an intentional thing, and we weren't at a leadership level, and we just decided this is how it's going to be. We're going to support each other, and we're going to be
2: honest and. I think we were seen as kind of weird or something. I know.
0: Maybe. I think, too, it's just uncomfortable for people, at times, to call people out on their bullshit. Well, yes. and, and, you know, people mm-hmm. still say racist jokes and stuff like that. And it's not that hard to say, like, seriously, what the hell, you know? And then most people will drop it if they're called on that sort of thing. So we need to just step up and be like, don't talk about how big she is. Oh, my what God. What about... That's so true. What about the, what she said? Or, you know, like... Who she is.
2: Where you're not listening. You're just right. staring at her body.
0: Objectifying her. Right. Exactly. So we can all do a little more of that, I think. You know, it is hard sometimes to stand yeah. up. but
2: Well, well that's I, what has given us power yeah. To for recovery. Is to stand up for ourselves. Period. Period. So even little tiny baby steps that
1: anybody out there could take to just empower themselves... It you just, might not you change, change the
2: world overnight, but you will change yourself. And that's really what matters because you are ultimately, if you have an eating disorder or disordered eating, destroying yourself. So let's change your perception of yourself, how you go about your life. Let's give yourself
0: a voice and go. And give yourself a break. I mean, what we've been yeah, talking about is that right. all these economic forces that are lined up to reinforce these unrealistic standards that you know there's a gender and power and class divide that are all involved in creating this aesthetic hierarchy and so it's not just us it's everybody who you know the system this institutionalization of thin is really harming a lot of people And it's connected to other systems of oppression. And it's harming our society as a whole. That's the thing. It feels like,
1: oh, you're targeting fat people or you're targeting thin people or whatever. It's hurting. It's deeper than Our society as a whole is not as Because we we
0: remain on the surface. We remain looking at the color of people's skin or how old they are or whether or not they're gay or straight instead of who they actually are.
1: Hey, Emily, we want to thank you so much for joining us. I have learned a lot. Thank you for having me. You've given us a lot to think about, and I'm hoping that you will join us again. I just, we can't squeeze everything into one little podcast. I would love to. Especially to
2: talk about our moms.
1: Have yourself a great day. Hey, bitches! If you are anything like us, you are geeking out over Dr. Encyclopedia Emily Boyd and the discussion we're having connecting all the dots between diet culture and how dangerous it is and how it's been so pervasive and connected to so many other forms of oppression in our society over the years. She's provided so much information just off the top of her head. It's just difficult to keep track of it all. But we're doing you a big favor. Yep, you got lucky. We're going to provide a page on our website, thatbetch.com, where you can find all the resources, the links, the information that Emily's been talking about today. Betches? this is nuts next episode we have the honor of having the intuitive rd as our guest that's right kirsten ackerman ms and rd you probably follow her on instagram and if you don't you really should she's going to talk to us about why you should date your dietitian and her journey as a regular dietitian who has picked up the banner and started marching for body positivity and fat acceptance. You're not gonna wanna miss this. Fat Betch is a product of Britt Walkholtz and Terry Fast. Thanks to our head of community, Kate Rossellini. Thanks to Trent Fast for the original music and thanks to everybody listening. Bye bitches.